Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Rare Friday recording, possibly Saturday episode of Pat's Interference, because I don't know exactly when this is going to go up, but I know it will go up before the Patriots play the Bears on Monday night. And I know we have Jeff Howe here, national NFL insider for The Athletic, who last time told us he never tires of hearing that. So again, this is Jeff Howe, national NFL insider for The Athletic, (laughs) which I can't imagine you love the job the entire time because for the folks on YouTube, they can tell you did not get much sleep last night. And that's because Christian McCaffrey went to San Francisco. I don't want to talk about that trade. Um, but t- but t- tell the folks a little bit about the uh, you know the late night ugly part of the job because it's it's on your face right now. Yeah. Oh wow. Can you tell that I'm tired? That's weird. Yeah. I thought I thought I could wear the hat just low enough. I thought if I wore all black, it would like cancel out the black circles under my eyes. I thought if I shut off the lights behind me, maybe you couldn't see me as well. But here we are, and we'll have some fun. But no, I mean. Watching the Thursday night game as usual. And usually after the the national games, Thursday, Sunday, Monday night, I'm up until, uh, I mean, a good night. Uh, I'm in bed at like 1230, 1 o'clock. But mm. trade went down and and it was something that I didn't, antici- I didn't anticipate happening, obviously, at that hour of the night. But you see why it happens. I mean, the, the Panthers weren't actively shopping him, but they knew. They knew the calls were going to come in. As soon as Matt Rule got fired, people were going to call about all their guys. And it was going to take something of of sizable, of a sizable portion, in order for them to give him away. And the 49ers clearly stepped up with that. So it was a it was a very late night. I'm on about four and a half hours of sleep. If I pass out here, just just talk without me. Yeah, I'll call Caitlin. Not a big deal. Um, <laughs> what you also did yesterday though was write or finish or publish a piece about the Patriots. You made it back to Gillette this week, which I joked at asking if you needed directions. It's great to have and you I back. Did you ended up writing just how the Patriots had turned it around from one and three to three and three, not only just beating the Lions and the Bears because everyone would go, oh, just look at the schedule. You said, look at the head coach and had a lot of quotes from Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, David Andrews to back that up. I think Matthew Slater called him, you know, our shepherd. And look, we're going to always go where we're directed as a team and we're lucky to have a great director in Belichick. Belichick being a great director isn't new, but what's something that surprised you in the process of kind of reporting that piece that, or at most had your attention? Well, I was just interested in, so when I was talking to all three of those guys, it was, and, you know, I haven't been down to Gillette. I hadn't been in the locker room since probably the end of 2019, uh, Brady's last game. I thought it was, the way I put it was, all right, you guys could lose a game in the Brady era 
And or if you, you lost two games, whatever, we would make it sound like we in the media would make it sound like the sky is falling and everything is, you know, crashing back to earth and what's going on. And it'd be one game. And, and we'd all know in the back of our minds, and they admitted kind of they did too, that eventually everything would self-correct. Just listening to these guys say, all right, you, you got to make sure that you're leading. You got to make sure that, you know, these younger guys who haven't won anything uh, can really step up and, and kind of follow their lead. You know, they come into with a, a two-game losing streak. They come into the locker room on Wednesday for their team meeting in, in week five. And, you know, they're they're hooting and hollering and they're being loud. And, you know, they, it just shows the young guys, hey, it's not the end of the world here. It's a two-game losing streak, but they can still kind of figure this, figure their way out of something like this. And, you know, the, they even spoke about like, hey, Tom Brady gets suspended in 2016. What's going to happen here? Uh, and Belichick just delivers the same message. That message carries uh, over the course of a number of years or, or even just a number of weeks for the younger guys who don't know him as well. It kind of keeps that steadying presence. And, you know, it's, it may not lead to a Super Bowl. It may not it may not even lead to a playoff trip, but it did help them uh, thoroughly dismantled two teams that were really good in a couple of key phases, and the Patriots neutralized those phases. And they did that with Bailey Zappi, um, who, in case you missed it, by the look of you again, maybe you have Zappi fever and these are the current <laughs> ongoing symptoms, or you're like someone in my mentions the other day who says if Zappi plays Monday night against the Bears, it'll be 28-7 to Patriots. If Mac plays, the Bears blow them out, um, which I still want to follow up on that guy because holy shit. Um <laughs> But Zappy fever, as it were, has obviously been a positive. The Patriots have won two games. The kid has played well. It's all been a big surprise. But he's not playing um, because he beat out Mac Jones. He beat, you know, he's on there because Mac got injured. Mac, it seems, is close to 100%. Doug Kai had reported he's about 90% as of Wednesday. We're talking here on Friday. You're saying there's no quarterback controversy. What do we know about who plays quarterback on Monday night? Well, once Mac is healthy enough to start, he's going to start. Like, it's not even up for debate. Uh, I think it's been debated. Uh, I've certainly seen it debated in my Twitter mentions. Uh, I think there's probably been some media debate in Boston about it. No. But there's been absolutely no wavering at all inside Gillette Stadium. It's it's always been Mac's job as soon as he's been ready to get back in there. In terms of the readiness, just kind of back it up a couple weeks. You know, week five, they knew – probably later on Friday with some outside hope that Mac would wake up on Saturday and feel a whole lot better. Obviously that didn't happen. So Zappi went week six, the decision went till Saturday. So, you know, a day closer, a week later, and now you're going into a Monday night game. So you get the extra day. So he is closer, but I think going into this week, they truly didn't know. And it was going to take a, a slower ramp up rather than just, you know, throw him. You don't want to throw him out there. All of a sudden he has a setback and you lose him for an extra two, three, four weeks or whatever. So it's just really just kind of I'm laughing because I know what I'm about to say. It really is about taking it day by day. Oh, no. Because oh, no. They, <laughs> now, stop the pod. You are going <laughs> to the corner like you said, your little girls. and You're going to stand and stare <laughs> in the corner for five minutes. They, they truly... You know, this is an injury, especially at this phase of the rehab program, where you don't know how you're going to feel on a day by day basis. So like, yeah, you go into the week feeling really good, but they still need to make sure that he can get through a, a decent chunk of practice to make sure that he can he can last an entire game on Monday night. But you know what? Things are obviously trending in a favorable direction.
Right. And here's the thing. And I've said this multiple times here, other places, like the thing to always keep in mind with this injury was it typically takes four to six weeks. Sunday is going to mark four weeks since the injury, which in my mind makes this one of the more overcomplicated, overdramatized. And for fair reason, even your old colleague, Mike Kerr, when Kerry Garigian has this idea that, you know, I'm reporting that Mac was pushing to play as soon as that Green Bay game and wanted to get out on the field. And then he's on the field on Friday and doesn't move really well, but the guy is a maniac. And that is both what makes him, um, you know, a good quarterback and also someone who would put himself at risk for a week four game at Green Bay. Now we're here in week seven. Things are obviously much more comfortable thanks to their record at three and three and also the opponent. Like, is it is it any more complicated than the things you just said and I just said? No, uh, I mean, there's been he's gotten a lot of opinions on the the extent of the injury, what the rehab should look like. Uh, but ultimately, he was able to put off surgery in the his hope of, of returning as quickly as possible. So here they are. And it seems like there's a pretty decent chance that he plays on Monday night. Yeah, it's um, you could have also just ended that he's gotten a lot of opinions, period, as far as maybe his attitude goes or his injury status or what he's been doing, because it has been a lot the last week or two or three or four. But um, yeah, I I think he's going to play reporting from ESPN, you know, NBC, you know, is just, he expects to be available, which doesn't say he expects to play because he understands that decision is not his, but yeah, I think all signs point to Mac returning on Monday night. And if not, it's partly because you go, we play a, the bears who are eight point underdogs as it stands today on Friday. And next week you play the jets who are suddenly four and two and probably still the same old Jets, but um, it'll take a little more to unmask them this time around than probably last year when you beat them 54 to 13. We're going to get to the Bears in a second. I wanted to touch on two other topics though, with you, um, obviously having your national perspective. One was on the rookies. They play 10 at Cleveland. I am on the record on this podcast giving them a D plus for that draft class, and it wasn't just you know looking at other people's uh, media evaluations of these players and then using them to inform my opinions. I watched the film. I look at the positions, the whole makeup of the roster, gave a D plus anyway. We're trending in the direction of me, along with a ton of other people being very wrong. What did we miss in that process? And what have you heard from people around the league who are also going, oh, wow, Cole Strange, not bad. Hey, Jack Jones, that's another pick. Tyquan Thornton. Wow. Like anything along those lines. Well, it the people I spoke to during the draft – and then afterward, whether it was weeks after or, you know, somewhere as close to as we are now, you know, not too far in the past, as I struggle to figure out some words throw out you, out at you, uh, <laughs> is like they drafted good players. The, the critiques were where they drafted them. And, you know, we're not uncovering brand new news here. Like Cole Strange was probably going to go into the early third round. Like that's and this is opinions from multiple people at an executive level who not multiple, like numerous people at an executive level who knew that he was a good player would have been very happy drafting him. They just didn't see him going in, in the first, certainly the first rounds uh, or, you know, more likely than not, he was not going to get taken in the second round. You know, Jack Jones, I spoke to uh, evaluators uh, again at an executive level who viewed him as the best cover cornerback in the class they just were very concerned about the off field stuff. And so it's like, where's the sweet spot. But then again, like you you get concerned about that. You might not necessarily want to bring him into your locker room because you might not 
know how he's if he's going to thrive in that situation. They look at Bill Belichick and say, well, he's got a, a long, extensive history of bringing a guy into his culture and making sure they maximize his talent and they keep him right. Right now, Jack Jones looks like an absolute stud. And, and that was, I think, when I was down there almost every day with you guys in the spring, I mean, that was pretty prevalent early on. Like Jack Jones looked legit pretty quickly, at least in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and then, you know, take these plays, just to go back, because it has been a progression with him, right? It wasn't like he started day one. It was, there were so many plays where he's like, oh, like this close. And you saw it in the preseason, you know, he's jumping an out route and his both hands are outstretched and the ball just goes a couple inches there. So he's come along in a way that wasn't just, he arrived, okay, he's going to start. Like I wasn't there for Malcolm Butler's spring, but JC Jackson, I remember getting his hands in a few more passes. It's just now with Jack Jones, it's a little more delayed. There are like shades of JC as I see it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, quick story just for anybody who hadn't heard me say this one before, but like Malcolm Butler in 2014, he had he was all over the ball consistently. Now, they had an outstanding secondary. There was no reason whatsoever for the Patriots put, to put Malcolm Butler on the field in 2014. Uh, it took a slew of injuries for him to even get on a slew of injuries and poor play, I should say, in the Super Bowl for him to even get into the onto the field in that game. But then when he uh, when he picked off that pass, Anybody who was there, any reporter who was there covering those spring workouts, the training camp workouts, was not the least bit surprised. Now, obviously, surprising in the moment, but like when you start to accumulate that many plays in the offseason, that stuff sometimes bears out over the course of the season. Now, it, it doesn't necessarily always equate to making quite possibly the greatest defensive play in Super Bowl history, but like you just you look back and you say, that really doesn't surprise me because he has that in his bag and seeing the plays that Jack Jones has played, uh, has made. Now I wasn't there in I was there in training camp for one day. So I certainly didn't see his progression this summer the way I thought I saw it in the spring, but like, you know, I still have the Patriots on, uh, on my second TV every Sunday here and seeing those interceptions. I mean, those are wild plays like that one, the toe tapper on the sideline was one of the best plays I've seen in the NFL this season. Uh, so that's a kid who who clearly looks like he could develop into a, a seriously talented cornerback, uh, assuming everything continues to work out right in, in, the, in the culture fit. And right now it, it seems to be going in that direction. Uh, Tyquan Thornton's another one where, you know, the speed pops. Um, I, I spoke to somebody who wasn't necessarily sure that speed was going to pop on like a game speed level, like the 40 times. Great. Can you play that fast once you're on the field? I mean, the, the game he played on Sunday with a couple touchdowns is okay. You know what? That's a, that's a hell of a start. Uh, can you do it more consistently? Now, my opinion on him in the spring, he looked very far away. And then it was, I don't remember if it was mini camp, did he come back in mini camp or, or maybe it was just, you know, seeing him in training camp for a day, but like you could see the growth and like, I know I was away for a short amount of time and then came back or maybe it was a longer time. If it was training camp. I'm rambling here, but like, you could see that the kid was getting better. And yes, that's absolutely true before the injury. And I had heard he was in consideration to start week one, which is something I've said here in the podcast. If it had not been for the broken collarbone, which healed faster than they expected, you get the initial range of, you know, six to 10 weeks and maybe it's eight and then it ends up being on the earlier side. But that was a, okay, we don't want to hurry this kid along understanding he was so close to being so good for us right away. Yeah. And especially with the body type, you know, he, he needs to, uh, he needs to get that mask. You don't want a guy who is coming off of a collarbone injury, especially 
takes a hard hit, all of a sudden his rookie season is completely washed. Right. Um, all right, let's do trade talk. The Patriots, like the rest of the NFL, you know, trade deadline still more than a week away. Let's keep this as simple as possible. If they make a trade, they're most likely add to this position. If they're going to make a trade, they'll most likely deal from this position or this player. If they bring one in, I think it's probably going to be something quote unquote boring, like a defensive tackle or inside linebacker depth on off ball linebacker depth. Uh, just because they're a little thin there, and especially with some of the injuries to Lawrence Guy, Christian Barmore, you know, whatever their status happens to be, um, you know, it could be like one of those Isaac uh, Sopoaga trade deadlines where everybody's like, oh, all right, well, everybody else is getting Christian McCaffrey or maybe Cam Akers and so on and so forth, and they get, uh, you know, a third string defensive tackle. But, you know, I just I don't know if they're going to go all in on a trade like that this year. I mean, the next two games could be big if they beat the the Bears, which I think they should. And and they beat the Jets, who were playing really well and, and have legitimately deserved that four and two record. Maybe that does change how they view the second half of the season. Um, if they trade someone away. I, I still look at Isaiah Wynn because I know the criticism. Uh, he has not played well this season. I understand that. But every team in the league. Every single team wants offensive linemen. I mean, they they all have some type of value. Of course, if you trade win, now your depth at right tackle is even further diminished. You know, if you lose somebody else to injury beyond that, then you're in a lot of trouble. But, you know, you, you see what maybe his value is. And, and then maybe possibly one of those receivers, uh, Kendrick Bourne. I mean, Nelson Aguilar has always been available. It's just the contract is so obstructive to a trade. I mean, you look at it as sort of like a Baker Mayfield situation. Teams kind of looked at the Patriots and were like, yeah, if you want to get rid of him, eat some of the contract. And the Patriots are like, well, they don't want to eat the contract. So that's why, you know, there's been kind of a standstill there. Or I, sh I shouldn't even say a standstill. Just nothing's really kind of moved. Yeah, I, I don't have much on this front, even from a speculation standpoint. I think off-ball linebacker would be the position they would add to just from the fact that they went bargain hunting and threw a bunch of darts, and now all of them are on the ground. Whether you look at Cameron McGrone, oh, he might pan out as a fifth-round pick. We'll get Mac Wilson, who's who's thrived in the dime packages kind of pass first only, but he gets benched in weeks three and four. Um, and, you know, Jelani Tavai's been fine, you know, but I, I don't think he's someone you want starting on the interior where – Green Bay then exposes his lack of speed in concert with Bentley. Like they're very good specialized players. And right now at that position, you need someone who can play ideally three downs and they just don't have that. Now that player, I think for them, you probably wouldn't go for someone in the final year of their contract, even though the price would be depressed because again, they're playing the long game here. Like they're positioned very, very well for next off season. You know, Mac will be in his third year, et cetera, et cetera. It's just hard to find the sweet spot of them getting such a deal where they're not giving up a whole lot and it's something that can pay off in the future as well as right now. As far as dealing Aguilar, yeah, I'm, I've heard the same thing. And I just, like, you're at the point of attaching a pick, which again, for someone who's playing a long game, there's no reason for them to do that to get off that deal, which is just going to expire at the end anyway. And I also don't think that their depth at receiver is so great that you're like, Oh, take your pick. We can lose anyone. Tyquan Thornton's great. Like, Devontae Parker gets dinged up. Okay, Kendrick Bourne's been uh, productive, but he's got turf toe now. And thankfully, as I reported, it's not serious. It's just a matter of that depth is going to be the strength of the position, not any one or two of these players that you can consistently rely upon. 
Yeah, and I think I'll back it up just sort of like the long game that you were mentioning. That's so important, and I've been hammering this since the offseason, really since I think they they bowed out in the playoffs. The only way you're going to catch Buffalo is through playing the long game. Like, Buffalo is as good as they are right now because they drafted and developed guys for their system over the course of a number of years. And now all of a sudden, or I shouldn't say now, like they started to, to hit their stride and, and start to hit that peaking level last season that's why they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders and this isn't a fluke this is something that clearly looks sustainable so if you're the Patriots you know yeah you had that great offseason a year and a half ago but like it still didn't you know it got you to the playoffs but you need to make sure that you can get to a point where you're steadily ascending it's not like a roller coaster you know as much as you can have one in New England I mean Belichick going back to the original point, is just such a steadying force. But he treats the roster that way, too. Like, you can't have these dramatic ups and downs and think that eventually you're going to catch Buffalo because Buffalo's model is so sustainable. Yeah, and you know what's funny, too, is you look at Buffalo, excuse me, and Kansas City, like, I think the way that they pivoted, maybe less so Buffalo when they get Bob Miller and they spend lavishly in some of their free agent additions, but they were building through middle-class veterans, through the draft and playing the long game when McDermott gets to their 17 all the way in through 21 when they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders. The Chiefs, now that they've been there, are taking an approach of, okay, we'll lose a Tyree kill as opposed to pay for what's probably going to be an all-pro year this year, and then he'll start to decline. They're playing the long game as well, which is how the Patriots always stayed in the mix. We would rather be very, very good every single year as opposed to going all in like the Rams are now paying the price for being elite last season and then, you know, having no cap space or draft picks. And then, like, they'll be around and the Patriots see the value in, we'll be in the mix. And, yes, Brady drove a lot of that. But the way they handled their their cap was such that they were never going to have a down year. And you saw that even when Brady got hurt in 2008 or gets suspended. Like, they're going to slowly build this as opposed to pushing all their chips in. Because sometimes being in the mix, as we saw last year, is good enough for Cincinnati, a number four seed, if you just – Make sure you're there, and then sometimes you'll break through either on your own or with the help of the rest of the league. It just kind of comes down to your level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cincinnati is a good example. Kansas City, like you mentioned, that's a really good example too. And and you know, trading Tyreek Hill has actually benefited Patrick Holmes because it's forced him to play at a more horizontal level than a vertical level, which I think was a big reason they would get into trouble last season. I think that's why they lost that lead to to Cincinnati. And and that was something that happened multiple times over the course of the season. So yeah, it's, there are different ways to do it, but for the Patriots right now, it's about making sure that you continuously stockpile quality draft picks. And then you continue to hit on those draft picks. Like they have, like they certainly did in 21 and it absolutely appears they did it again in 22. Yeah. Hey, just a quick break to tell you football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest football odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores, plus giveaways all season long, NFL and college. But if you're not into football, why are you listening to this podcast? Also, you can find your other favorite sports, NBA, even MLB playoffs, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf. They're still playing golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus. That's 5-0, welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50, CLNS50 to receive rewards because that's BetOnline where the game starts. 
Speaking of playing the long game, no franchise is doing this like the Chicago Bears, who are actively leaking talent. Their best defenders are on the trade block. Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith. Um, it looks like both of them are going to play. We're not going to spend a ton of time on the Bears, but I'm going to stick to the same format. Uh, for the folks who have been listening, it's three matchups, two keys, and then a one extra point. But first, the Bears are two and four, running down their vitals. They are uh, 31st in the league by DVOA. So that's second worst team in the league. 30th in offense, 19th in defense, 8th on special teams. Their wins are against the 49ers in a monsoon. They edged out the Texans in the Week 3 Suck Bowl. And then their last three games, however, all losses, have been one-score games. So they're in the mix. They're hanging around. It's just like Cleveland last week. They're not doing much more than just kind of hanging around and hope things go well because offensively, nothing is going well. They are 31st in passing against second works in the league. 20th in rushing. Defensively, you're looking at another bottom 10 uh, run defense, 27th, but they are 14th against the pass. That, despite having the worst pass rush in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. So I say all of that, and it explains why the Patriots are eight-point favorites, even though there's some lingering uncertainty about whether it'll be Billy Zappi versus Mac Jones. Let's just get right into the matchups and look at this at the standpoint of these kind of battlegrounds could swing this game either into a Patriots blowout or a close Patriots win or maybe a loss. And I look at Jacoby Myers in the slot. He's their number one receiver statistically. He's in the number one area where the Bears are just giving up yards like a slot machine that's broken. You don't have to put anything into it. Like he, they're giving up 11 yards per attempt in the slot. I think he should eat. If he doesn't and they don't feed him, they're going to let the Bears hang around closer than this should be. That's my first matchup. Well, I'll just take it, you know, pretty simple uh, from there is is the turnovers. I mean, the if the Patriots start giving the ball away, that's a recipe to lose to anybody. And the Bears are, all those stats are incredible, but like that matches up with what you've been seeing from them on the field. I mean, they're almost like the opposite of the Giants who are continuously finding ways to win these close games. The Bears are continuously finding ways to lose these close games. Now, the Bears are absolutely still in the early stages of a rebuild. Their, their number one priority this year is to get Justin Fields going in a in a positive direction. And he's still show, he's showing some good flashes. But, like, you know, last year was a tough rookie year. Their system was bad, and they just didn't have a lot of help around him. They still don't have a lot of help around him. They're still kind of recalibrating the books. They're trying to figure it out. I mean, their best defensive player requested a trade back in August, and – you know, that hasn't happened. They didn't want it to happen, but it's uh, they're, they're very, very early in a rebuild that could take quite a while. So those numbers are not surprising. I just think, you know, don't give the ball away. And if it's if it's zappy, you know, you don't want one of those like crash back to earth type of performances that you saw in the first half from Cooper Rush against the Eagles uh, or, you know, if it's Mac Jones. If the offensive line is protecting you the way that they've protected Bailey Zappi for the last two weeks, there's no more of those early season turnovers. You know, I think I, I give Mac Jones a pass for some of those turnovers because the line protection was so bad. If the line continues to play as well as they have for two, uh, even going into Green Bay, they played fairly well at the end of the Green Bay game, especially when they were running the ball. Um, if the line continues to play that well, you can't be turning the ball over. Yeah. All right. It sounds like you've got one of our two keys. So there we go. Uh, a couple matchups left. I'm just going to highlight. Realizing it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, th this is tied to the turnovers, though, because I think a player that you also have to watch for on defense 
who folks forget about, not even throw out in a potential fake trade, just because I think he would fit really well in New England, is Eddie Jackson. Safety there, ball hawk some years, one of the worst safeties by a lot of analytics. Other years, right now he's found somewhere in the middle, playing within a new defense for Matt Eberflus. I think, though, that Eberflus had something for the Patriots last year that slowed them offensively when he was a defensive coordinator for the Colts, Patriots coming off a bye, so is Indy, that they get those early turnovers. Shaq Leonard picks off Mac Jones, and Mac has one of his worst games as a pro, despite the rest and despite the extra prep. Jackson's a guy at that position with some sort of late rotations and some sort of minor disguise that could give the Patriots problem. The Bears also have more time coming into this game, so they're more rested. They didn't list anyone, zero people, on their injury report on Thursday. So they're healthy. It doesn't guarantee they're going to be more prepared because the Patriots won multiple games last year when their opponent was coming off a bye and they were not. However, I just think the Eberflus track record, if he can get what he wants out of Eddie Jackson, that that could be a problem with the turnover. So I'm looking at Mac or Zappi versus Eddie Jackson. I mentioned Jacoby Myers. Um, the last one for me is just whoever is across from Isaiah win. And we don't have to belabor this point you mentioned already, but giving up a sack and a penalty in four straight weeks, that streak has got to end. If that streak ends on Monday night, I think they're in fine position. Yeah, a win's been the uh, the weak link up front, and you're you're seeing improvement across the board. With win, it's like sometimes you can take getting beat physically every now and like that's going to happen. The guys across the ball, you know, they live in big houses too, but you can't have like the communication breakdowns that lead to you know free rushing pass, free pass rushers heading at your quarterback, uh, and then getting them injured. So and the penalties are, I mean, it's just. You know, every now and then you get called for holding the procedural penalties are just more often than not a lack of focus. So they need more out of him. You know, you mentioned Eberflus and what he did last year. That was a far more talented Colts defense than what the Bears have right now. Like they have some talented players, you know, scattered about there. You mentioned Jackson because he's a veteran. So you're right. Like, can you strike a chord with him? Can you figure out a way to play him as a chess piece? Tell him to look for something that's going to, you know, he can, play off of the front seven the front six uh even a, a Roquan Smith you know a guy who's got a ton of talent you know can you get him to do something can you get him to play off some of those pass rushers you know again they're not like primetime pass rushers or whatever they no longer have Khalil Mack or or you know anybody from the 85 squad but I, I think it's a lot to ask uh but I certainly see you know again just just don't be stupid with the ball and, and run the ball the way that you have and you should have a, a uh, a comfortable victory. So I'm going to hit on my second key then really quickly um, run left. Like they, they have stopped going as much weak side behind Trent Brown because of all the bad things that the Browns and the Lions did in their matchups, they actually stopped what had become Patricia's pet run going weak side left behind Brown where the, the idea is very simple. We're going to put a ton of guys to the right side, tight ends that you have to match players with players that gives us more room. And we're just going to run behind the 380 pound guy who you can't yeah. really beat one-on-one the problem was structurally teams found ways around that and then anticipated when Patricia was going to call it they've averaged just one yard per carry going left behind Trent Brown the Bears however are allowing 5.4 yards per carry to the offense's left and I think whether you need to dress it up formationally or have different motions and shift the tight ends pre-snap left to right and then go behind Trent Brown find a way to get that going it's not unlike finding a way to get touches for a skill position player, right? Like we need to involve Trent Brown a little bit more if you're the Patriots and that'll help get the running game going because 
They've been particularly weak to that side where Robert Quinn, who gets a ton of flowers from Bill Belichick this week, all for being a pass rusher. Not much against the run, and that's just been Robert Quinn's calling card. It's not bad. It's just the kind of player he is. All right, let's wrap up on one extra point. Anything game-related we haven't covered, which is most things, but just kind of like has your attention, but otherwise it's kind of like, eh, matchup. We haven't done any of the Belichick, George Hallis stuff, so that could be something we touch. Uh, no, I just – I think the most important thing here is – you know, go back to the quarterback, quote unquote, controversy. Ooh. Like the worst case scenario the Patriots can have is Mac has, you know, a couple careless plays, you know, reverts to a couple of the bad habits, even if there's whether there's a protection breakdown or not. And then, you know, gets up and looks a little gimpy, you know, maybe he uh, because the ankle still hurts or something like that. You know, that's not something the Patriots need. Uh, that type of storyline kind of creeping back into the mix. Because, you know, Zappy did play well, and it's a home game, so you're going to have – it is a home game, right? I didn't yeah. screw that part up. Okay. <laughs> Go on like a 10-minute diatribe, and you're like, Jeff, hold on. we gotta, we got to redo this whole thing. Um, you know, you got the home crowd with, with the Zappy fever. You know, you got a bunch of people with ice packs on their heads and thermometers hanging out of their mouths, clamoring for the backup quarterback, who's always the most popular guy in town. So, you know, you just want to see Mac Jones come in and play within the system the way that Zappi did the last couple of weeks. The, the Patriots clearly have all the confidence in the world that's going to happen. That's why they're going to go with Mac Jones as soon as he's ready, which, again, looks like Monday night is a very realistic possibility. And, um, you know, once he gets things back on track, assuming he will, I think that's when everybody's going to kind of settle down and say, oh, right, that's why he's the guy. You don't want to completely forget what happened in 2021 when he was uh, for a good, good, strong chunk of the season, the best rookie quarterback going. Yeah. Or even week three, which, yes, he throws three interceptions and they lose to the Ravens. And it was a bummer of a loss. But you look at the last two picks he threw. One was desperation. He were down two scores, less than two minutes left. Like You don't care about that interception, not to mention he gets hit on that play and injured. The second one was Devontae Parker in the end zone where Parker just completely missed an audible like that was on him he didn't run a route you can go back and watch the play mac throws it to the back corner of the end zone which tells me it's one of these uh back you know a corner route and parker is supposed to win a jump ball which he's typically very good at just didn't happen so that really comes down to one turnover for mac who otherwise had some of the best throws of the season and set a career high in passing yards so i think he'd happily take that as a patriots fan um well and not just that but like just watching that game you know there were times when it looked like especially with the way that the season started there were times when it looked like the ravens were just going to pull away from this thing and kind of end it early and mac jones did help them come back like he was a, a pretty good reason for that i'll even you know you mentioned like the, the context which is certainly more valuable than anything i've added but like <laughs> the context behind those turnovers you know week one a good that team looks at that that the interception on the first drive is a hey you know what like they took a chance the chance was there it just didn't go their way and the Dolphins made a really good play you know sometimes that stuff happens too you don't always have to take it off the quarterback because it was a drop like the, the zappy pick um you know some of those are just like hey you know what you kind of live with it because they took a chance because it was there it just didn't necessarily work out because the other guy made a better play as opposed to just you know you don't see a, a weak side linebacker crossing in front of your route and you throw it right to him. Like those are the ones that I think hurt everybody a whole lot more. Like Shaq Leonard last year against the Colts <laughs> and Eberflus. Yeah. And it all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And look, the bottom line with this is just, 
we can call this chapter of the Patriot season fun with small sample sizes. Three for Mac that aren't great, two for Bailey Zappi that have been very good does not mean that they suddenly switch roles or caliber of player. It's just you don't learn a whole lot in small samples. Um, that said, look, we're getting to the uh, seven game mark here of the season. Like per Belichick's words or ours, this is when you start to know what you have. And I think a decided win here over the Bears would say a lot about a team, even though you go, it's the Bears, it's the Browns, it's the Lions. Like, you know, the other the alternative is to not beat them out or not blow them out, beat them closely. And then you really don't know. I think this says they're going to hang around. They'll be in the mix. And that's what you want, you know, especially given the way that the season started. One last stat for me, the Bears are last in blitz rate. They're, they're blitzing 13.9% of the times. I think whether it's Zappy or Mac, that helps you pre-snap a clear picture you don't have to count on extra rushers, which is good. The Belichick house thing, real quick, how much does he, he – he cares about this a lot, right? Like, he's going on oh, yeah. because he wants to coach. It's the only thing he's ever known. It's the only thing that lights his fire. He feels most alive on the sideline and game planning and preparing. But, like, he's going to pass Shula also because that's something he wants, right? I was thinking about this the other day, coincidentally. Um, I didn't realize you were going to bring this up. But if – I'm looking at 2024 – that would be, this is a big leap of faith here that my math is correct. That would be Belichick's 50th season in the NFL. That's also pretty much when he's on pace to pass Shula for the all-times win record. So everybody kind of wants to forecast, like, how long does Belichick want to do it? And honestly, it wouldn't, if, assuming they continue to win and Robert Kraft is cool with this, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Belichick coaches till he's 80 because I just don't see him, you know, being fulfilled doing anything else after his, like he's you see these guys retire like tom brady for like 40 days and he's like wow this sucks i need to play football um you know these not everybody handles retirement in a, in a great way you know like belichick i think i've said this for years like i don't see he's when he retires he has to know like this is it i can't have any second guesses i'm not coming back and coaching jacksonville uh it's you know he's gonna be all in on on this decision but like I think it goes till a minimum, assuming they continue to win a minimum of the 24 season because it gets them to 50 seasons in the NFL. And that's more likely than not when he passes Shula. The only thing I ask it, Bill, if this happens is if he does coach till 80, because we've seen physically how Brady has changed and his face is sunken in and somehow it's longer. And I don't know how that happened. I just can't have Belichick walking on the sideline like King Barris his last three episodes in the house of dragon where he's literally falling apart and there are holes in the man's face. I'm not saying it's going to get there. I'm just saying we can't have that level of change. I'm glad the King is dead. As far as the house dragon goes for those uh, who were hoping to avoid a spoiler. Look, it's been more than a week, maybe two. Uh, it's just 80 is a long time, man. And that's, uh, that's something, but look, I got this question on a podcast the other day and I said, I was asked the same question when I came on the beat four and a half years ago. I have the same answer three to four. And here we are three to four years later. He's still coaching check back in three to four when he's still here. All right. Mailbag really quickly. Um, Hold on. No, I'm going to interrupt you really quickly. If Brady plays till he's 50, like I've been saying, he's going to oh. do for like, I don't even know how many years I want all the credit in the world for that. All right, go ahead. Yeah. You got it. marking it down right now. Um, <laughs> think that I forgot to put down who asked these questions, but these are all from Twitter. So if you ask it, you know what it is. Uh, I think this one is from Ashley. When Mac comes back, will they keep the offense as quote simple unquote as they did with Zappy? I take simple to mean probably the same amount of play action, um, more screens, and probably more under center. What do you think about that? 
I, I honestly, I believe Matt Patricia and Joe Judge are finding a groove and it's coming to fruition the last two to let's say three weeks. And so I don't think they should change. I, I really believe that what they're doing is working better. And Bailey Zappi did a really good job of operating within that system. Get back to that. Like you don't need to just all of a sudden change the offense because Mac Jones is in there. I, I think let him operate within the system. Let him be responsible with the ball and continue the groove you're finding because you know as much as those guys had gotten hammered uh earlier in the year back in you know the, the uncertainty before the regular season started those guys are doing a hell of a job right now and i wouldn't want to stray from what's been working yeah and here's the thing with zappy in particular that is a direct reflection on joe judge his quarterbacks coach and evan rothstein to whatever degree evan rothstein is involved coaching the quarterbacks because you know, Mac was molded in part by Josh McDaniels. You can't say that for Bailey Zappi when he's succeeded. I think the Patriots should take a lot of the elements that Zappi thrived with, more play action, certainly more under center, a couple more screens, just because generally those are a good idea, or at least from the level they were doing with Mac when he was dropping back with play action 11% of the time, lowest in the league, and bump that up a little bit. I think the bigger point is, though, you don't want to keep it as simple because it was a more limited menu with Zappi. Like, he's a rookie, and you didn't want to overwhelm him, smart as he is, Mac opens up the whole menu. And that's what you want as a game plan offense. And to me, watching that Cleveland game, it's 3-3 in the second quarter. What they tried didn't work initially, but they were able to pivot and kind of evolve as this game plan offense by leaning on Zappi, who thankfully for them came through. You can do that from the get-go with Mac and be the offense game planning week to week and have that work from the first drive. It's just, I don't think you should intentionally make it harder on Mac just because you can it's let's make it as easy for him as possible while maintaining our flexibility and our schematic diversity to keep the opponent uh, off balance. All right. And, number and honestly, like that's, that's just good coaching. Like how, how yeah. often have we heard over the years, whether it was with McDaniels and Belichick or any, any, you know, good coaching combination across the league, Mac, put your players in positions of strength. And for the Patriots, if that's simplifying something to make sure that the offense is functional, that's just good coaching. With Bailey Zappi, you know, he goes into that Green Bay game having pl played virtually no uh, reps in practice with the starting offense. And, like, them getting him ready for that first start a week later was really impressive. But, like you said, like, they're just – it's like going from calculus to, to first-grade math. I mean, it's just two totally different areas of where you are within the system and the playbook. But again, I think like it's good coaching to make sure that you you keep your guy playing at a responsible level. Yeah. And credit too for Patricia and Judge, who you mentioned. And I've said uh, my default line when everyone's bashing them over the summer and I'm saying this offense looks terrible. I don't think this is a particularly good idea given their backgrounds and their skill sets. Is just if they're going to be bad, let them dig their own graves. I'm not here to bury them before it's warranted. The last couple of weeks, I see Matt Patricia much improved as a play caller. And part of that is just the early pivoting from we're trying to bully Cleveland, even though they have the worst run defense league, it's not working. Okay, let's hit more play action. Let's throw more on first down. That's more what I'm talking about with Mac. And also, they just kind of ran out of plays at Green Bay. Like that was a really nice job by Patricia in that second half. And I mentioned and wrote about this in my film review. When they get stuffed in overtime on second and five, it was the ninth time he had called that weak side run left. And to me, it was one too many times, but also he's probably looking at the play sheet going, if I was checking boxes on every time I had called every single play, all of the boxes were checked. So at some point with yeah. a player like that, like you just, you have nothing else left to call because he's a rookie, but 
Uh, Matt Katan's like, we'll be back. Okay. Now, is Yadni Kajus close to coming back? And could that impact Isaiah Wynn? Is Wynn on the trade block? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it depends on what a team wants to give up for him. I mean, if somebody comes up with a third round pick, I, I honestly, I think you have to strongly consider it. It's I think, just... you, well, you do it, right? Like he's in the last year of his deal. I think that person is also coming up with a drink in hand, right? You know, like <laughs> it's a third round pick over here and, a, you know, gin and tonic over here. Like, that's just, I, sorry, go ahead. I'm telling you, like, I'll pull like a Peyton Manning on the Manning cast here and just talk about all the people I talk to. Uh, and you can be Eli and make fun of me. Um, but every single time I talk to somebody at an executive level about a potential trade acquisition or who are they looking for every single time somebody brings up, we need offensive linemen. Like this is like every single team wants offensive linemen. I guarantee you the Patriots could get something for win. I don't know what something is. I don't know if a third's realistic. I don't know if it's a fifth. I have no idea, but if they want to move him, if they want to get some picks, if they're comfortable with the depth, they could absolutely do it if they want to. Yeah, I'm I'm not ruling it out. I think the contract, because it's fully guaranteed and around 11 uh, with the fifth-year option is prohibitive. His play, obviously, has been terrible. I think then you're probably transitioning him back to left tackle because you're not signing up for a guy to give up assets for who's giving up a sack and a penalty per week. But we also know that's not the player that he is or has been over the majority of his career. Like, knocking him all you want. Last year, dealing with COVID, injuries, playing through that. He's a more versatile piece. I also just wonder if he right now, because this is how they've been practicing, is their backup left tackle. Or if Trent Brown goes down, and if there's anything we know about Trent Brown besides he's humongous, it's that eventually big man goes down. So that insurance with Win, who you know can play left tackle, might be valuable. But they like Yadnik adjust. He's been more of a ghost for the rest of his career. But him playing swing tackle in camp and a little bit of the preseason, let them deal Justin Haran. So, um, what I know about that injury, I think it was a finger uh, or a hand. Like, that, that's not season-ending. I think he will be back at some point. I just don't know if it's enough confidence for them to say, yeah, we'll roll the rest of the season with Kajusta right tackle. Because Marcus Cannon's also here. And, like, you know, too bad none of those other 31 GMs that you talk to, because it's clearly everyone, um, you know, <laughs> listening to you. But, you know, didn't have a Marcus Cannon on the street. And I think that Patriots got very lucky in that sense because he's been really good. Yeah, absolutely. He's been he's been really useful and helpful the last couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. Last one. And this is similar. We've already touched on this. Um, does a good performance from Taekwon Thornton make Aguilar expendable at the trade deadline? Again, if you find that GM after four or five drinks who's gotten a surplus of draft picks, go right ahead. I just think Aguilar, who didn't practice on Thursday and has a hamstring injury, which for speed guys is extra problematic because hamstring is finicky. I just I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, I won't get into Aguilar as much because we've already hit on that. But seeing the way they used Thornton was really intriguing. Like, do they have a, a bigger plan for him? Like, I, I don't – he doesn't have to be Debo Samuel in terms of, like, you know, catching and running with the ball and all that other stuff. But that speed is useful. They clearly intend to use it. And uh, um, he's, you know, in a very short time become one of their more intriguing offensive players. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I think we did it. You made it. You can go back to bed or get caffeinated or otherwise get ready for Monday Night Football Patriots Bears, which I don't know if we need a drinking game for coffee or whatever, but the amount of times that they bring up George Hallis in the second half when this game is probably 20 to 6, uh, you know, that, that that might be the go-to sip for every Hallis. Hallis sip. Should we set an over-under? Ooh. 
I'll say, uh, and look, it's a monumentous occasion. The fact that Belichick could do this against the Bears is kind of cool. I'd set eight and a half. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll go with I'll go with uh, 14 and a half. Wow, okay. All right. I feel that was one question too many. We'll let you go, but thanks as much, uh, as always, for coming on, buddy. Anytime.